Thank you for standing and worshiping. You may be seated. Matthew chapter number five, as we continue in our series of the Beatitudes and how the kingdom is ours, this, this kingdom mindset, this heaven on earth really is for the believer right now in living in this. But let's read the last three verses of what is deemed as, uh, you know, kind of a addition to Scripture of the Beatitudes. You don't see that anywhere in the text, but it's been coined that. Verse number 10 of Matthew chapter number 5, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that same phrase at the very first one is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so this morning we're going to we're going to embark on this last one. Blessed are those that are persecuted. And so we, we come today to, this, to, the, to the last messages in our, in our series of the Beatitudes. Many of you over the last, I would say the last three or four weeks, have, have, have made it a point to speak with me, to communicate with me on how the Lord has used this series in your life and these scriptures in your life. I also have been stretched. I also have been searched by these words of Jesus and never more so than this week. Never more so than in the beatitude that is going to come upon us today. In these beatitudes, Christ is giving us, or He has already given us, the sevenfold description of a godly life. That's where we, that's where we started uh, many, many, many weeks ago. I believe this is the 17th message in this series. And so many, many months ago, we started this journey of, of what it looks like to be a Christian, to be poor in spirit, which means to recognize that before God, we do not have what it takes apart from Christ. And this is and that all, all that I have in me, if any of it's good, it is of Him. And then as we learn to, it is to mourn over our sins, seeing their cost, so that I move beyond feeling sorry for those sins to the place where I actually begin to forsake those sins. So this sevenfold is starting with this, this humility of, of spirit before the Lord, of mourning over our sins, and then to meekly submit to the will of God. Whatever the cost, the call of God is to meekly, to sub submit, to submerge our will, and we do that in a meek fashion. And these are the roots that we've talked about of what a godly life is. There's no true Christianity displayed without them, but these are the roots. And from those roots comes a life that hungers and it thirsts for righteousness. This deep longing, this, this commitment of the soul to a godly life. And where life grows, fruit will then begin to abound. Out of this life will come a tenderness of heart. There will become mercy and compassion and forgiveness. 
Beautiful fruit, that is. Out of this life comes the purity of heart. To will one thing. To move beyond the the, the, the spiritual stagnation of a double-minded person that holds half to the world and half to Christ. And then out of this life will come a peaceable spirit. Peace in your own heart that makes it possible to be a peacemaker in the world that God has called you to live in. And it's a troubled world, and we spent a few weeks on it. Those are the things that I am to cultivate. Those are the life that that God calls me to pursue. It is the pathway to sanctification. Here is the path on which God's blessing is found, and we've seen this blessing in each and every one of these. But what comes of a life like this? If we're to begin on this journey, if we're to begin on these monkey rings and and start the progress, what comes of a life that I just described? Jesus gives two answers to that question. If you go down this path, you go down this path of the blessed life, you will be blessed by God. And you will also be persecuted by the world. Three times Jesus uses the word persecuted, which means harassed, opposed, or even ill-treated. Jesus says if you, if you pursue this life, this is what is going to happen to you. You still want to pursue it? I've been quite, I've been quite like this week, it's just like, oh, I don't like this. Because there's such blessing that comes through each one of these beatitudes, but then there's the burden of persecution. Jesus says if you pursue it, you're going to get it, and you should expect it. The world is not going to thank you for being a Christian. The world is never going to love the church. It will tolerate the church with suspicion at best, but it's going to show it hostility at worst. And Jesus says that everyone who does wicked things, John 3, everyone, they hate the light. Jesus said that. They they love darkness rather than light. They love that darkness because it, it, it clothes, it shrouds the evil. If the light is in you, expect to be hated. If you pursue this life, the light of Christ is going to shine from within you. That's what these Beatitudes are. Literally, the life of Christ, the perfect one that can go to every single one of these rings and say, I have fulfilled it perfectly. It's going to live through you. This light is going to shine and the world loves darkness rather than light. And so the world's not going to applaud you. The world's not going to be excited about you. The sinner has to suppress his conscience, as Romans 1 talks about, to sustain what they're doing. And so a godly colleague or a godly neighbor brings light that sinners are trying to avoid. So do not expect to be thanked for living a godly life in your business. Do not expect to be thanked for living a godly life in your neighborhood. Don't be, don't don't expect to to be thanked from a a world of the industry and the school and the education system that you may be in. Sinners, they're going to not only hate you, they're also going to be suspicious of you at best. 
That's the path we're on. That's the, that, that's the end of this journey when we begin to emulate these beatitudes in our life. Today, today I want to show you the pattern of persecution, the forms in which it comes, and then the blessing and the reward that come with it. And so let's start with the pattern of persecution. Opposition is a normal experience for the Christian. We are to expect it. Let me just kind of remind you quickly here of a few, uh, briefly in a few ways. I want you to think about people in the Bible. Just think about people. Persecution for righteousness sake, that started with the very first family in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they had two sons, right? Cain and Abel. They thought everything was going to be great. They, got the, you know, they were going to have these beautiful sons. They were going to get along and they were going to love each other. But that didn't happen very long. Because Cain persecuted his brother and then ultimately he ended up murdering him. Now why did Cain kill Abel? It wasn't a fight that got out of control. It wasn't just a, a, a he, he didn't just have a temper problem. We actually learn in Scripture that he killed him because of his righteousness. John says in 1 John 3, 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So because he wanted to clothe that, that, that didn't follow the command of the Lord to, to bring, a, uh, bring a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, he wanted to bring from the fruit of the land. And so he's clouding that, and so he hates his brother's righteousness. The second man born into the world was the first martyr to be persecuted and to be killed for doing right, for righteousness' sake. Abel set the pattern for those who were to come. The pattern of opposition, harassment, and suffering runs throughout human history to our experience around the world today. A.W. Pink, in his book on the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer, he gives several examples. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers, and in Egypt he was cast into prison for righteousness' sake. Moses was reviled again and again. Samuel was rejected. Elijah was despised and persecuted. Nehemiah was oppressed and defamed. Stephen was stoned. Peter and John were cast into prison. James was beheaded. And the entire course of the Apostle Paul's Christian life and ministry were one long series of bitter and relentless persecutions. And people in the Bible, they were persecuted. What about the churches? in the Bible. There's many churches that are mentioned. The church at Philippi, Paul writing to them in Philippians 1, 27, 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. He's saying you as a church, you are going to suffer. Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. The many churches of Galatia. First Peter 4 speaks into that. Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Writing to those scattered church believers in that area. Paul says to Timothy in the most direct way, 
He says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Does it get any more direct than that? It's, it's, it's definitive for you, definitive for me. If we are going to live for God and we're going to be loud for God and people are going to actually know that we're a Christian, you will, in some capacity, suffer persecution. Suffering for being a Christ is normal. It's what we should expect. Why? Because the sinful nature is hostile to God. Paul tells us in Romans 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, is at, is at war with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so there's a war in the unregenerate heart, and it's going to be at war against God. And if you're for God, and you're with God, and you're proclaiming God, it's war with you. It's coming your way. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ personified every one of these beatitudes. He literally incarnated them. He lived out these beatitudes and look what the world did to him. John 15, 20 says, Remember that the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. In other words, they're going to try to trap you. What you said. The eighth beatitude sets an expectation quite clearly, reflected throughout the whole Bible for believers in the Bible, for churches in the Bible, and we find in our text for the normal Christian life. Those who follow Christ will be blessed by God, but hated by the world. That's what's in this game. That's what's in this life. As we, as we progress on this, we're going to be blessed by God and we're going to be hated by the world. So what are the, what are the forms of persecution? There's, there's two that I want to speak directly to this morning. Thomas Watson in his book says that there are two forms of persecution. Persecutions of the hand and persecutions of the tongue. And so let's start with the hand. Persecutions of the hand. This is obviously physical violence. This is imprisonment. This is even martyrdom. Now, it's very difficult to get an accurate uh, number of Christians that actually die every year because of persecution. But it's in the ballpark of nearly 100,000 to 150,000 Christians around the globe are killed because of their faith on a yearly basis. So if we take that range and we take the lower end of that, let's just say that 100,000 die on any given year on average, that is 274 a day. That is 11 to 12 an hour. And that is one in every five minutes. I have literally been preaching for 14 minutes so far this morning. I'm already on second point. But I don't mean to mitigate what I'm actually trying to do. That means two and almost three of your brothers and sisters in Christ are not only suffering, but they're laying down their life for their faith. Now, I'm not certain that our church has yet had a missionary that's been martyred, but if they truly press on, 
with the gospel. And they continue to do so, proclaiming it. We shouldn't be surprised if they have that costly honor given to one of them. I'm not aware of one yet, but that time may come. So there's the persecution of the hand. We, we see that displayed often on the news fronts. But there's also the persecution of the tongue. Because sometimes what we think is, is that, well, we're not facing it here in America, and it's definitely coming. But we don't always necessarily see it by force of hand. But persecution of the tongue, the text speaks of it. Verse number 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The word to revive, it's to insult. It's to, it's to slander. You could kind of call it today verbal abuse. That's kind of what we would say today. This is verbal abuse. It's included mocking, slandering, even intimidating or tormenting with, with words. It is any kind of persecution with the tongue. Now, I want to speak especially to the students that are in here, whether you're, you're in elementary, whether you're in middle school, high school, or even on kind of the college front. If people know that you are a Christian, you're going to get some opposition. And you might get a lot of it. I wish I could protect you from it. I know your parents wish that they could protect you from it, but they can't. I mean, you believe in a creator? You actually believe that, that, that God constituted this body? You believe at, 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 that, that a life is a true meaning at conception, not a manufactured heartbeat? I mean, if we believe these things and you speak to these things in your, in, in your student world, you will suffer persecution. Satan has his eye on you. And he's not going to give you a break because you're a young adult. He's not going to give you a break because maybe you're under 21. And then once you turn 21, that's when it gets harsh. No. Different people will have different experiences, but this is what you should expect. If people know that you're a Christian, expect to be mocked for believing in Christ. Expect to be scorned for obeying Christ. If you are committed to the path of sexual purity, as I hope you are, and you hold back from the sexual experimentation that's going on in these school fronts, you're going to be looked to as strange. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You might even be marginalized if you're saying, you know what? I'm going to take the Word of God for what it is. I'm going to abstain from that until I'm married. When other students know that you're a Christian, they're going to make your life hard. They're going to say things that are really hurtful. That's what Jesus says in our text. If we live out loud, and that's what the Beatitudes are, living out loud, persecution with the tongue is going to come your way. They may make you feel like a social outcast, and that's not going to be easy for you. Understand what is happening and why. They see the light in you. They don't want it. My own experience of this was rather tame. There was one teacher, I believe I was age 15 or 16, he was a devout atheist, and it seemed like I was kind of on the brunt end of a lot of his jokes, me and a buddy. And I didn't even really live all out loud, you know, for Christ at the time. 
but it comes. There's a biblical principle for all of us, though. Opposition helps you to grow as a Christian. Ask any, if you're a student in here, ask any older Christian in here, when, when difficulty comes, when, when opposition comes, it helps your faith to grow. They'd be able to tell you, if they were trying to live these Beatitudes out loud, they would tell you that they've drawn closer to the Lord because of what they've experienced. Persecution has a sanctifying effect on our church. People who are Christians in name only, they leave churches soon as persecution starts to hit. Hey, hey, this might cost me something. Man, I'm out of here. And soon as it comes, soon as it comes more than it already is, soon as every single thing that I say from the Word of God is deemed as hate speech and people start videoing it, I wonder when persecution comes, those that are just kind of not really committed, they're going to leave. They're going to leave. There's no doubt in my mind that culture in which we live and serve today is becoming more hostile towards Christians and churches. For literally over 200, 300 years, under 300 years, the country that we love has been very kind, has been very supportive towards Christians. But this is changing fast. 70% of our country says that they are a Christian. Yet I wonder what the spiritual level of our country is. It's not very high. If God allows us to suffer for our faith, as we have known before, we should pray that He will use it as the means of reviving His church. See, the Beatitudes, hear me, they show how this works. When persecution comes, you realize that you don't have what it takes. You, know, you don't have what it takes just in and of yourself to continue to endure the onslaught. And so what it does is it casts you back onto the Lord. So you go back to the beginning. You become poor in spirit. You begin to see and you begin to mourn over the compromises of your life or how we've gotten so comfortable in our Christianity. I'm going to use some other words here from other authors here in a moment that I hope will kind of cut to our heart. But we, but we begin to mourn over our comfortable Christianity and we submit ourselves meekly to the will of God. If it means persecution, if it means slander that's coming my way because I'm going to proclaim the truth, then you will step forward in that. You find yourself longing to honor Christ through the difficulties of, that you're facing. Out of that comes a kinder and purer and more peaceable heart. And when the world sees that kind of righteousness in you, it hates you even more. And the spiral continues. It sends you back to needing the Lord to where you're going to mourn, to where you're going to submit to continue to do the will of God because you're hungering and thirsting for Him. And I'm going to show mercy and compassion and forgiveness to the lost and to the dark that's hating the light. And the more you shine, the more they will hate. John Piper, speaking at a conference, said this, America is one of the hardest places in the world to be a true Christian. Now, when I heard that, I thought to myself, ah, ah, there's no way. And then I began to think of now 12 years of pastoring here in the Bay Area, and I begin to just kind of understand what he's saying, because Piper goes on to say, the blessings of freedom lead us to an expectation of a comfortable life. 
A comfortable life produces lethargy of spirit. And that is why fasting and giving and serving and risking are so important to our spiritual health. Now, some of you in this room, you've experienced persecution in a far greater way than myself and others in this room have. And you know what we need? We need your stories. We need you to be willing to talk of them. We need to learn because we live in a very comfortable, cushy Christianity right now. We really do. Those of you that are on like secular campuses, you have it way harder than so many other people. And you're beginning to see what it's like to be persecuted, at least by tongue, for your faith. And so we, we've got we've to hear your stories. Every time you stand for Christ under pressure, you put strength into other Christians who are watching you. I draw strength from the example I see in some of you. Standing up under great pressure. I'm not going to give the names, but I find great challenge from he or she that can stand up under what they're facing right now. And when I know what they're facing, it makes me want to just stand up that much more. Tell your story. Because persecution, whether it's physically by the hand or it's verbally through the tongue, it sanctifies the church. Study church history and you will find that to be the case. The greatest service you may offer to Christ is to stand and to still love Him in the face of pressure and opposition. But what's the outcome? So what's the outcome of this persecution? Well, persecution produces two outcomes. Great blessing and great reward. Great blessing is found in our text. Verse 10 again of Matthew 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. You may say, how can the blessing be now if there's persecution? That is a question that I have asked all week. And that is a question that I've asked some of you in this room over the course of this week. And I've been real and I've been raw and I've been authentic with you and I'm like, I don't see it. I can't, I, I, I can't possibly see it. And here's the conclusion that I've come to. There is a fellowship with Christ. There is an anointing of the Spirit that you can experience. It's, it's, it's a uniqueness. It's a unique, a unique blessing. It's a unique experience that only comes in suffering like this. It only comes in this persecution when you're willing to stand for Christ, when you're willing to live out loud as these beatitudes will do, when you're willing to shine this light out for the world and you're being persecuted maybe by hand but definitely by tongue and the actions that will happen to you. There is just a union with Christ that is so special, that is so unique and a spirit filling. It is greater than anything you'll experience at any other time. Kent Hughes in his book on the Beatitudes, he, he, he quotes Samuel Rutherford. He said, I never knew by my nine years of preaching so much 
of Christ's love as he taught me in the Aberdeen by six months imprisonment. Did you hear what that pastor said? He said, nine years of preaching didn't teach me what six months of prison taught me. John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years in the Bedford, England. It took him away from his wife, took him away from his nine children. And here's what he says in his book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. After I had been a Christian for a long time, I had been preaching about five years. I was arrested at a meeting of good people in the country. I have never in all my life had so much of the Word of God opened up so plainly to me before. Those scriptures that I saw nothing particular in before have been made in this place, prison, to shine upon me. Also, Jesus Christ was never more real to me than now. Here I have seen and felt him indeed. I never knew before what it really was for God to stand beside me at all times. As soon as fears have presented themselves, so have supports and encouragements. This promise of experience of the blessing in the face of mockery, in the face of ridicule and slander or persecution, it's all over the Bible. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and God resteth upon you and on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. There's this sense of God. There's this awareness. There's this peace. There's this, there's this feeling. There's this feeling for all other terms that comes when you stand for Christ. Paul speaks of entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. There is a fellowship with Christ when you share the cup of suffering. We're given a wonderful picture of that in the book of Daniel. These godly men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, I'm going to stand for God. I'm not going to eat of that. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow the Lord's command. I'm going to stand for Him. And you know what happened to them. They got thrown into a fiery furnace. The, hot, the fire was so hot, the individuals that were literally throwing them in got burned up themselves. And you know the, you know the rest of the story. The king, he looks in, he looks into the fire, and he, he asks his counselors in verse 25, and he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. It's Christ with you in your flames. When you say, hey, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm not going to go along with this sexual revolution. I'm going to live for Christ. And you're mocked for that. Christ stands with you. When you're not going to cheat at work and you know that that means that others are going to be elevated above you and you're not going to get that raise because you're going to be an honest woman. You're going to be an honest man. Christ stands with you in that moment. And the emotion and the feeling and the amazement of that is something that only comes with that. It's a special, special blessing. But there's also a great reward. 
Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What does that mean, Ryan? Next week. Like how I did that? Part two. This reward. It's blessing. And there's a reward in it. Ignatius of Loyola wrote this, Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To give and to not count the cost. To fight and to not heed the wounds. To toil and not seek the rest. To labor and not seek reward. Save that of knowing that I do your will, O God. Many of you have probably heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She was imprisoned by the Nazis for rescuing hidden Jews during World War II. Her father and her sister Betsy, they died in concentration camps. You can read her story in The Hiding Place and A Tramp for the Lord. But I want to read a snippet to you as we close. Betsy and I walked to the square where roll call was being held in the concentration camp. It was still early before dawn. The head of our barracks was so cruel that she sent us out into the very cold outdoors a full hour too early. Betsy's hand was in mine. We went to the square by a different way from the rest of our barrack mates. We were three as we walked with the Lord and talked with Him. Betsy spoke. Then I talked. Then the Lord spoke. How? I do not know, but both of us understood. The brilliant early morning stars were our only light. The cold winter air was so clear. We could faintly see the outlines of the barracks the crematorium, the gas chambers, and the towers where the guards were standing with loaded machine guns. Isn't this a little bit of heaven? Betsy exclaimed. And Lord, this is a small foretaste. One day we will see you face to face. But thank you that even now you are giving us the joy of walking and talking with you. Heaven in the midst of hell. Light in the midst of darkness. What a security. Blessed are they which are persecuted, for theirs is heaven in the midst of your hellish persecution. Theirs is the kingdom of God. This is where we're heading if we really want the Beatitudes and we really want those to permeate through our lives, we've got to be ready for this blessing. Ryan, how how is this a blessing? I don't fully know, but the Lord is teaching me that it's Him. Ah, it's not monetary. It's not popularity. It's not health. It's not feeling great. It's not being able to move through life with ease. No, it's actually Him with you. And it's awesome. Blessed are those that are going to be persecuted. Because it's in those moments, I think, when we, the, the, real, the realism of it's, you just, 
You long for heaven more than you ever have before. And heaven is with you. Let's ask God to shine bright and to prepare for this. Every head bowed, every eye closed.